0: i'm like watching the cursor over there and it's um it's you just like fiddling around with the show notes there is, is that what you're doing i'm squiggling i'm They're jiggling like, around can you, baby can you stop squiggling around <laughs> and, yeah, it's like you're a mirror board
1: man i love this stuff i love like, it's really cool
0: isn't it yeah no nah, it's cool shit stuff yeah <laughs> it's pretty cool yeah shit stuff yeah I, I can allow for shit that's no problem we're not allowed man but we're no no intense it. um cursing that's a no what cursing? No intense cursing. All right, so I can't say like the C or the F? Mm-hmm. That's right. Well, okay. this, this is a PG podcast. PG. F- yeah, it's a family podcast.
1: Hey, you know what's crazy about PG? Do you ever remember like when you were younger, like did you watch Seinfeld and The Simpsons?
0: Yeah. Oh, uh, no, I wasn't a Seinfeld guy. Like, uh, people give me shit for not being a Seinfeld guy.
1: That's weird. He yeah, has a great show. But I just I only brought that up because I remember when I was a kid, Simpsons was PG. But Seinfeld was a G, and I always found that weird because Seinfeld, like they, um, it's just like sex all the time, pretty much in that show, <coughs> right? Whereas Simpsons, like PG, needy...
0: yeah, but like, why would they treat Simpsons as a PG? Like, that was always odd to me. Simpsons is pretty PG, I guess. I mean, because it's like cartoon, I guess they they thought they could get away with anything they wanted. No, but PG is higher than G. Like, like oh.
1: G is a lower classification. So, they thought that Seinfeld was more appropriate
0: for children than Simpsons was. I which see I what you're saying. was strange. Right. I didn't actually hear that correctly. I'm, I'm not really concentrated at the moment. <laughs> All over the and, place, right? Yeah. And there goes my grammar as well. I said I'm not really concentrated at the moment. <laughs> no,
1: that counts. That counts.
0: <laughs> Does it? Excellente. Excelente. Welcome, everybody, to the Logic Cool Podcast. That was an ending, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, somebody actually asked me, like, man, did you, how did you come up with that really cool intro? (laughs) Implying that. uh, You made it. (laughs) That's why I assume you did. Like, you're in the background going, ooh. (laughs) Yeah, man. I'm a beat maker. Did you actually make that beat? No, I didn't, and I cannot take any credit for this. And this could be really contentious for um, whether or not I pay legal fees for this, because it's actually from an, a pretty good, pretty well-known beatmaker. Um, he's from he's from Australia. I want to say he's from Melbourne, but I think I only think that because I just always think that all the musical people come from Melbourne. Right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, it could be wrong about that. Yeah, it's hip, but and he seems like the kind of guy that would come from Melbourne. I,
1: well, if we just stay under the radar, I guess nothing will ever happen. So. Kind of too so scared to say his name as well. Although I have said his name in a previous podcast episode. It's kind of funny, right? You'd think that he'd
0: be madder if you don't say the name. Mm. Yeah, but it's one of those things where he's like—he's kind of famous. He's—he's he's made a lot of beats for some pretty famous artists in the United States, but he's not like Travis Scott famous, you know? I think there are levels between that. Yeah. <laughs> Like Travis Scott famous, <laughs> and then everyone below that. <laughs> it's like, nah, everyone else is totally not famous after that.
1: Yeah. It's like, well, you know, they're famous. But they're not Travis Scott famous. It's like, that that does nothing for me, man.
0: Yeah, I know. I actually don't even know who Travis Scott is, to be honest. <laughs> I've, heard of, I've heard of the name.
1: What, really? You didn't do, like, you didn't love Sicko Mode?
0: I don't even know what that is. Oh, damn. That was a song at one point. I'm not that into like certain beat producers, you know, I, I think the, my, my vocabulary for beat producers goes as far as like Timbaland, And, um, who was the, who was a really popular guy that did all these R&B tracks from the early 2000s. I don't know and mean, R&B they... tracks, DJ Premier. No, that's a rapper. DJ that, Premier. That's a, that's a rap beat maker. No. Jay Dilla. Jay Dilla. Yeah. I mean, he's a sick beat maker. So I know that I'm very familiar with Jay Dilla stuff. I love a lot of his, even his like, solo albums um do you call it solo albums or you know just albums that is just from him and no artists it's just yeah. all instrumentals. i love a lot of that kind of stuff but no the the beat maker i'm trying to think of he was always mentioned in those r&b tracks you know you know how timberland's always mentioned in those r&b tracks on the early 2000s but like the
1: they, they say, say his name or they say his name timbaland in the credits. they say his
0: name like during the song or whatever you know it's like I don't know Timber. I can't remember. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we are definitely not a music podcast. That's no. for sure. Don't know nothing. Love music though. I've never actually asked because because you always like make a snarky comment about the music when I play that football. Yeah, <laughs> but <laughs> what, what is, is like what is like your choice of genre? I know that can be a little bit of a trite question sometimes, but. Maybe, nah. maybe a bit of question is like, what, what was in your Spotify, uh, wrap up? It was pretty, it was entirely rap. Was it? So yeah. what was number one? Uh,
1: number one was, God, I forget. Um, I think it was really? what, the I song. Wasn't song it like artists? last week or something? Yeah. It was like, it was like, okay. I know my, my top song was count me out by Kendrick Lamar. That was like, yeah. The, yeah. The, the one that I fell in love with this year, my top oh. artist would have been either like J Cole or Kendrick Lamar. It was one of those two j cole yeah
0: what song from j cole uh no role models probably
1: oh let's go you played it
0: once in football i was like oh yeah i got i got hype it's so good man that's a great song j cole of the old days i can't remember what the name of that album was no role models
1: um i forget the album because i'm only listening to it on spotify right so you kind of forget about albums once you Mm -hmm. were in the spotify world that's true
0: um but yeah that's such a great song love that song yeah
1: Play it, play it more, man.
0: Lean into it. Football will be, be- <laughs> much better with that kind of energy. I'm not a fan of modern-day J. Cole, as in like the last few years. like that really? kind of music produced. Yeah, it's okay. It doesn't have the same kind of effect that the older stuff had on me. Because I think the older stuff had a really good dose and understanding of authentic hip-hop rap.
1: See, I feel like, I mean, like, uh, yeah, I'm, you can talk about like, sort of an era of an individual artist, but I feel like he's mm-hmm. one of the few people doing sort of the rap that I enjoy. Because I know for a while there... They have done, oh, I don't want to be like one of those guys, but like I really didn't enjoy Mumble Rap at all. Like I didn't enjoy Me I didn't enjoy. Who does though?
0: Who, who I mean,
1: evidently, it? a lot of people, right?
0: Oh, <laughs> no, no, no. Um, have you seen that me. video? Sorry, sorry to interrupt. But, yeah, no, um, was that? Have you seen that video with uh, Snoop Dogg where he talks about yeah <laughs> about the uh, the Mumble Rap stuff? I watched that like a few times. I'm like, yeah, it's you're on my so side. <laughs> well, of
1: course he would be, right? Yeah, I guess so. Right? I mean. You'd have to... Oh, yeah, because he... I mean, he he was pretty mumbly for a dude back in that day. Really? Snoop Dogg? He's got a bit of a draw to it. Yeah. You know, I mean, he's got a bit of a draw to him. Like, he's, he's smooth. I think mumble rap is, like, trying to smooth it all out. Wait.
0: No, mumble rap is... No, yeah, <laughs> not even, like, there's,
1: a, there's a difference. I'm saying back in, like, you know, 1997 or whatever, he was the mumbliest dude in an era of no mumble. Yeah. <laughs> Really, I I don't know if I agree with that. I, he was <laughs> he was pretty clear. He was pretty clear to me. No, like I guess the thing, but the error was zero mumble. See know what I mean? So he's still not mumbly at all. Like if you compare it to I the said, mumble that you get today, right. obviously no mumble at all. But I'm saying like in comparison to all the other rap artists at the time. Yeah, I feel like he was like a smooth kind of voice, mm-hmm. which I think is what mumble is like times a hundred. Then again, I li- listened to very little of it, so my opinion means nothing. <laughs> zero. <laughs>
0: Mm-hmm. oh that's so funny um <laughs> stop sidetracking man we are supposed <laughs> yeah. to be talking about movies that is true and it's late. Um, uh thank you everybody for jumping into the legit cool podcast where we review recap and break down everything in movies and tv series if it's your first time here like tony it's his first time here welcome to the podcast and uh if you're a regular listener thank you for showing up and continuing to support the show oh i sound like a Radio hosts. Yeah, from the 80s. That was good. Mm, That was pretty good. Today's episode is reviewing and recapping Knives Out. So why are we reviewing Knives Out? Well, first of all, I would say that Knives Out is a movie worth reviewing and recapping, regardless of how old it is. It's only a couple of years old. But I guess the main reason, which is reason number two, is that the sequel comes out on the 23rd of December, which is called Glass Onion*. So it's like a Christmas special then, I
1: guess. Mm, 23rd. Yeah, yeah. Tell you what, it's more Christmassy than Spirited. Spirited came out like friggin' at the start of December. I'm mad about that. Spirited. Yeah, it's a Christmas film, right? It's a Ryan Reynolds um, musical
0: Oh, with um, Will Ferrell? Yeah. Oh, yeah,
1: right, right. I'm just thinking, like, you, you released something like that on the 23rd. Come on. Mm-hmm. I totally forgot about that. Is it good? Did you watch it? No, nah, I haven't seen it. I mean, it's on Apple, so. <laughs> oh. Oh, it's not Netflix. Yeah, I ain't paid pay for Apple. Yeah, neither.
0: I pay for too many subscriptions.
1: I just, Apple doesn't have enough, like,
0: good stuff, in my opinion. Yeah, good enough to invest, like, whatever, $12 per month.
1: Exactly. Like, you know, Ted Lasso's decent, but, like, it's, what, two seasons, a so half an hour each. Mm.
0: I really want to watch Ted Lasso. Everyone raves about how good it is.
1: It's weird. Like, it's... I I oh, think it's controversial. Like I thought, this first season was really good. Like it's a real fish out of water. It's a mm. it's a show about football and how he's dealing with football. In the second season, it's very much about like him as a person, and it's very little about the football. And I don't know. Like I think people enjoy the slice of life part of it, but I actually want to see a coach out of his depth in football try and win football games.
0: Right. And was he too comfortable as a character or something? Mm, I'm, like, I don't. I mean, I don't want to
1: ruin it oh whatever like the second season is just it's a lot of like just pun jokes like have you seen uh god who is that who's that um comedian that just stands up there and does like he just riffs one liners for like two hours you practically described every single comedian No, <laughs> no, no, no. there's like there's a guy like a lot, you know, Dave Chappelle's like a story guy right he'll tell stories mm. and a lot of like stand-up comedians are like less of a Dude, story one-liners. than Dave but there's one guy that's up there who just do like sentences like a sentence a sentence the
0: mexican guy no, no he's like a white dude he dresses really nice and he laughs like ah. oh um the one that was like accused for sexual harassment
1: no <laughs> i don't think so wait wait
0: i gotta get this name now You, you move on while i do this okay well, moving on, so we're just going to jump into some movie information um and then we'll get into what our first impressions were for Knives Out. So Knives Out was directed by Rian Johnson um and it was written by Rian Johnson. This guy has is slowly no, 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 quickly becoming one of my favorite directors. Of, my, of our time, Jimmy Carr. By the way, was the guy? Oh, on that one-liners. guy! <laughs> I actually find that guy super annoying. Oh, really? And no, I enjoy him. Mm. Anyway,
1: I forgot why I brought him up, but still, um, one-liner. Oh yeah, the show just a bunch of one-liners, right? right. Anyway, Ryan Johnson. Yes, Ryan Johnson. Yeah, Ryan. Oh, Ryan. I didn't know that.
0: I I cannot verify completely that it is pronounced Rian Johnson. But I think a lot of people have just sort of succumbed to his name being pronounced Rian Johnson. I haven't, I've seen interviews, but I can't remember how they pronounce his name. Um, But yeah, he is quickly becoming my favorite director of the 21st century. And I think that really came down to just me watching Knives Out. Um, Really? Just Knives Out? Well not okay not just knives out he did looper i don't know if you saw looper i did
1: actually ah, it's i love the looper but at the same time there is a plot hole in it that i can't get my head around mm, and i, I don't I know, know if i'm crazy or if like this plot just
0: has this hole no you're just crazy man you're just crazy can we talk about this plot hole now uh i feel like we should review that Because Looper's, like, maybe we should do, like, a Rian Johnson film review or uh, legacy series. We should do that. Honestly, Looper, Brothers Bloom, like, they're they're a good film for you. Those are good films, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Brick. I never got to see Brick, but that kind of what, that's the film that kind of put him on the indie map. You know, everyone's like, "Oh, who's this director? Yeah, I've never seen Brick either. Yeah. But Looper, man, when I saw that film, I was blowing away. Blowing away by how good it
1: was i mean i'm a sucker for like sci-fi and time travel in any capacity like even if it's garbage Mm. so it was pretty easy to win me over with that one (laughs) conceptually that's your thing right yeah man like have you seen um predestination
0: with Mm. ethan Hawke? no i haven't that came out like this year didn't it no a long time ago man a long time ago predestination Um, oh what's the one that i thought came out this year or maybe 14
1: oh okay Anyway, like it's not a, it's like not a brilliant film, but like just again, uh, it's got time travel in it, so it gets me. You like that
0: concept? Yeah, man. I just like it when people like do stuff like that. I'm all for of that as well. Um, and yeah, I, I think Looper just it it really left a, a print in me. Like when I saw that film, I was kind of gobsmacked at how great quality the writing was quality uh filmmaking even cinematography and the score that they used um everything was just sort of almost pitch perfect high quality filmmaking from a director that we would never even heard of before like mm. this guy came out of the blocks like running you know or sprinting i should say yeah the idea that like he did break then straight to no he went to his brother's broom first which also very good film yeah um yeah, and then no. he jumps to this, which is uh, I mean, Talupa, and it was a fairly big budget. But I think just what he done with the budget, he didn't waste any cent to it. Yeah. You know, like visual effects were, were awesome. Maybe a little bit iffy on the um, the face. Uh, I don't oh, know what face, you call morphing it. The face morphing technology. Technology. Uh, nah, I think it was good for the time. I, did, I didn't look at it and good. go, "This is terrible." I thought it looked good. No, it didn't take me out of the film, and I think that's a really good sign of. of okay and impossible visual effects um but man just conceptually was just amazing to watch and just having to pull you into uh, the non-linear time travel mm. aspect was just oh, i was mind-blowing i was like who the hell is this dude and, and i still remember one of my favorite shots was when it's in the house i think it's actually towards the end where um someone explodes in the house or like everybody explodes in the house do you remember that part
1: oh like when the kid goes nuts and kills everyone yeah and everyone
0: everyone, everyone's exploding in slow motion (laughs) it's like whoa that was just so cool it was matrixy right like it was rotating or something i think very yeah Yeah. kind of almost 180 degree tracking thing that they did with trinity in the first matrix um but yeah just awesome awesome film but um, we should stop talking about that and talk about Knives Out. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Leading, leading into Knives Out, it's just uh, I was geared and ready to to take in whatever Ryan Johnson was going to do with this film called Knives Out. And I saw only the first teaser for this, which was about a minute long. And all I knew was that it was murder mystery, stacked cast, looks really funny, very dark, and I'm all, I'm all for it. So I was pretty excited to see it.
1: Man, it's kind of funny. You will um, think this is funny because I think for me, when I I had no idea what I out was right. Like I, I completely missed it. I am only watching yeah, it because you, you asked me to for this mm-hmm. review. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought it was a like a guy Richie action thing. That's kind of what the the, the poster looks like. That and like mm-hmm. the, the name kind of feels like that. So I was like sort of gearing up for that kind of film, and so it we completely went in a different direction as soon as I started watching it.
0: Right, so yeah. you didn't even know it was murder mystery? No, I had no idea what it was. No uh, way, that must have been so cool.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, it was cool. I mean, I had interesting thoughts about it. I did enjoy the film, like but, like let's preface it with that. But like, there were parts where I was very nervous because mm-hmm. I I don't do well with thriller. I don't really do well with mystery. That like it, it scares me a little bit. But we okay. can get into
0: that. Okay, we'll get into that. Um, so written by Rian Johnson, music is done by Nathan Johnson, which is his cousin. So apparently, like both. Rian, his brother, I can't remember his brother's name, and his cousin Nathan had been making films since they were kids. Oh, okay. Um, So So that sort of classic like J.J. Abrams slash Steven Spielberg story where they'd be making films on a Super 8 camera or stuff like that, eventually getting to a 16mm camera and then just shooting short films at home and then killing it in film school Um, and then just making awesome small indie films from there. Um, the actors, big, big cast. I'm just going to run through this cast super quick. So we've got Daniel Craig, Chris Evans, Anna D'Armas, which is the first time I've seen her as well, by the way. Um, Did you watch her Blade Runner? I...
1: Oh, no, but you oh. saw this when it came out, right? You saw this when it came out. So it would have been probably at the time.
0: Yeah, I'm pretty sure Blade Runner came out before this.
1: But I... Nah, I Blade know. Runner came out in 2016, I think, if I to guess, or 20, 2016, 2017.
0: Yeah, that's what I mean. Like, Blade Runner came out before this. Wait, when did this come yeah. out? I thought you said... 2019. You oh, shit. Really? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Wait, what did I say before?
1: You said you saw this in 2010.
0: What? How did I... 2010? No, anyway.
1: 2019. Okay, yeah,
0: 2019. No, it was way after our Blade Runner. Way, way after, yeah. I can't remember Anna and D- Blade Runner, let's <laughs> <laughs> Um. Anyway, so yeah, Jamie Lee Curtis, Tony Collette, John, uh, Don Johnson... Michael Shannon, like Keith Stanford, which by the way I really love this guy I really want to see him in more and more films and take a bigger responsibility um, I think he's super talented, Catherine Langford, uh, Jaden Martel, Noah Segan um, Eddie Patterson Ricky Lindholm, Christopher Plummer and uh, Frank Oz, oh, I should probably not forget Raul Costello and Kay Callan um, who plays the great Nana Oh, um, yeah, good yeah. job yeah, yeah, good job, good job. She's actually not as old as what they make her out in the film, obviously. It's just a different actress playing that role. Um, with a runtime of two hours and 10 minutes, this film had a budget of 40 million and raked in 312 million in the box office worldwide. So it did pretty damn good. Did pretty damn good. Um, released on 17th of November 2019, and it has a Rotten, rotten Tomato score of 97% from the critics. Uh, and ninety two percent from the audience rating uh, the consensus is knives out sharpens old murder mystery tropes with a keenly ensembled suspense outing that uh, outing that makes brilliant use of writer director Ryan Johnson's stellar ensemble um, would you agree with that consensus? yeah no it does <laughs> <laughs> um right moving on yeah i mean i don't want to delve
1: too much into it right now but yeah it, it's it's like it sort of takes murder mystery and like, kind of flips it around right which i think is really cool um mm-hmm. and everyone gets a bit of shine i think like every like it's a big cast and you learn a lot about every character I think it's kind of the opposite of maverick in a way mm-hmm. cuz yeah. you're learning a lot about everyone and it doesn't again like it doesn't really feel that long um so yeah it's a good film
0: sorry i just um <clears throat> cracked open another beer which one well, is not, it? A, not another beer i just cracked open a beer uh, this one is a beer from dayton dayton beer
1: the equalizer great film by the way
0: <laughs> should we record that i mean review that song? Oh, oh man
1: i love that movie
0: really yeah, yeah man oh, i love one of my favorites i love it but i feel like you love it more than i do yes from like your reaction it's like top Top five for me all time. No.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I just, that trope of like, um, old dude, non suspect, but
0: actually can kick a whole bunch of ass. I love that. Wow. That's, um, that's really surprising to me. I yeah. think I'm learning more and more about you, Tony. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that's a good thing. No. Yeah. You don't want to learn too much. You don't want to get too deep in here. <laughs> so bad. So yeah, this is just called the equalizer. They're just calling it the. Uh, that's just the name of the beer, but it's a hazy palo, which is a style of beer. 4.7 ABV, uh, 251, oh no, 251, 2, <laughs> 25 IBU, if that makes any sense to you. the beer podcast
1: now. I think IB, ah, uh, whatever, whatever.
0: Yeah, uh, we should just keep moving. <laughs> yeah, we should just keep moving. I shouldn't see another soap. Hold on. Ah. <laughs> So the plot for Knives Out, the circumstances surrounding the death of crime novelist Harlan Thromby are mysterious, but there's one thing that renowned detective Benoit Blanc, (coughs) Benoit Blanc knows for sure, everyone in the wildly dysfunctional Thromby family is a suspect. Now, (coughs) Blanc must sift through a web of lies and red herrings to uncover the truth. What a great plot. Like, what a very exciting plot. That kind of plot just, just screams, you need to watch this film because it's going to be one, potentially, <coughs> one of the best written films out there. <coughs> Sorry, I'm, like, choking on, on both beer and rice. Absolutely. <laughs> um, so, Tony, why don't you take us through your key highlights, your lowlights, um, and some performances that might have stood out to you and overall direction for the film?
1: Yeah, okay. Uh, key highlights. So, again, I think I touched on it earlier. I like the fact a lot that it kind of, it was just a different film, right? Like, when I started to realise it was a murder mystery film, like, you know, when you see Benoit Blanc at the start, you're like, okay, I know what this is. I've seen a lot of those Poirot films and all that, and so to this idea where you kind of know who the killer is at the start, and then it becomes a story of, can they get away with it, is really, really cool um uses the cast really well i think i touched on all this kind of stuff i think a lot of the acting is actually really good um and it kind of gave me like a, an Arrested development kind of vibe even though it's not nearly as funny and i love that show so like that was like
0: making me quite excited i think it's pretty it. close to being like i mean it's it's no it's nowhere near as the comedic genius that is Arrested development but it's it's pretty close in my opinion
1: yeah, and I, I like the fact that, like, each character is very distinct. Like, they've all got very, very... It's kind of like a uh, like a Wes Anderson film in a way, too, right? Like, every character, very distinct, very memorable, and they all get enough time to shine. So I really enjoyed that. Uh, Lowlights, for me, like... Uh, it's actually a really good film. It's hard to sort of talk about Lowlights. Like, my personal opinion, um, I was getting, like, sort of very scared at the start because, like, I actually kind of realised... Um, I don't think I enjoy the thrills that come with this kind of murder mystery film where you're sitting there going, Oh crap. Are they going to catch her? He's so smart. Cause like normally you're on the side of the detective, right? Like you, like the super smart detective is looking at clues. The person's dead and you're like, Oh man, can he catch the bad guy? I'm like so excited to see them succeed. But in this film, you're actually hoping for the hyper intelligent Benoit Blanc to not succeed. And like that was a very stressful experience for me. There was probably like three or four times where I paused the film and I thought, "Man, I just kind of want to wiki this to make sure everyone's okay." Like I just kind of want to read the plot.
0: Damn, you are a pussy, dude. I
1: am. I am. <laughs> I
0: was like very afraid that they would catch her
1: or she would die or whatever. And I was just like, "Oh
0: man, I need to oh, know." Oh man. Like I, I didn't. I, I like like I, I knew like uh, to the listener. I I've always known. Well, not always known. I mean, I haven't known you like for, for a century, but <clears throat> for the time that I've known you, I know that like horror films is a big, big no for you and you're quite yeah. sensitive to it. But I to say that like, like you had to almost like you had to pause this thriller, like I don't realize you were that sensitive to it. But I'm a weak man. boy. I don't want to like when you because you see.
1: Um, Anna Daama's character, she's so sweet and you see like what's happened and you're like, oh man, I really don't want anything to happen to her. But then the smart guy is against her. He's trying to catch her. So it's just a very stressful situation for me. Um, yeah, so I kind of realised that about myself. So, yeah, because like when you're watching a normal detective show, you're on the side of the smart guy so I feel very comfortable mm-hmm. that everything's going to work out in the end. This time I did not.
0: Jeez.
1: <laughs> but yeah. Keep <laughs> uh, promises. Daniel Craig was very impressive with his Southern accent. I don't even like, mm. I thought, Oh, is he British? Cause like he's James Bond. And I think you have to be British to be James Bond. That was my mm. assumption. Yep. Man kills it with that accent. And he also does this really good blend of like comedically inept, but re- <laughs> I every, the entire time you think he's like the smartest guy <clears throat> in the room where I think like, it's actually quite difficult to do that. Cause there's a lot of times where he's like sort of goofing off, um he's in the car like listening to the radio and just sort of singing to himself and not being able to hear anything and mm-hmm. still every time he says something you think to yourself wow this guy he knows what's going on mm-hmm. so him especially um who else did a good job i think tony she... collette tony oh yeah she did a great job i think she did good with the character mm-hmm. she, was, she was kind of chewing the scenery a little bit but i think she was supposed to um but no they all did really well like the son, the um Nah, it's hard to point anyone out, but, like, the...
0: Walt? Walt did the really young, well. The young son or the other son? No, nah,
1: like, the one with the beard who's, like, trying to take over the publishing house. Like, he had that sort of quiet rage that of someone who's been that kind was, of uh, stepped Michael on. Michael Shannon. Yeah, kind of stepped Walt, on his entire Walt life. Uh, mm. I felt that really well. Yeah.
0: Um, yeah, I mean, that's it. I don't want to take too long with it. All right, you've taken too long. My turn now. <laughs> Go. key highlights yeah the performances the performances from every single person not one that was wasted and you're right about the um shared screen time i think everybody had enough time to shine i don't think anybody was undercut or overcooked i think everybody was just perfect um and the performances were great like the characters were so distinct like as you said all the character traits the nuances of each character were just so um, astronomically different from each other, which creates the charismatic ensemble. Um and I just loved every aspect of every single character. There wasn't anything that I could nitpick from any of the characters and whether they were um doing too much just to crowd the space or <clears throat> or even um, you know, try and be overly funny or overacting or anything. Mm. Like there's there's kind of there's a little bit of overacting, like let's say from Tony Collette there's a little bit of overacting from her but that's purposely her character and she wears it so well like incredibly well that so that OTT like I'm a little bit from uh, what do you call it ballet type uh, person and I'm a little bit privileged but I'm also pretentiously caring of people around me and the world and the environment she has that whole it's almost like a like a person that I would meet in Bondi or something like that. Yeah, I feel like <laughs> like a rich hippie. Yep, it's kind of like I'm thinking like like a Byron rather than a Bondi. Yeah, true Byron. Yeah, yeah, and like I can yeah. I, I personally can't say Byron. I've never been there, but I, I think I know what you mean.
1: I've never been there
0: either, but I just assume. <laughs> 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 now we've just said goodbye to all our Byron yeah. listeners.
1: They wouldn't listen to this. True, they're like too busy. I don't list- know. Oh, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding.
0: But Love yeah the I fire. mean the all, all the performances are awesome and Tony Collette was a big standout for me Daniel Craig hands down the best performer like the cast in this is so good that it's hard for me to say one is better than the other because they all play their own part they're all very unique um, to the script mm-hmm. and they all complement each other but a stand-up performance kind of has to be Daniel Craig he's in he is the lead actor and his performance is out of this world, completely different to if your reference before seeing this film was only 007 James Bond, then coming into this will just blow the other out of the water. So I think he, he, he did another film
1: um, with like dynamite or something, some sort of heist film, uh, Logan Lucky. Apparently he's like really different than that one as well. I haven't seen it. dude uh, has got acting chops
0: apparently. Mm. Um. So I just had to take a, but <laughs> um, at ten PM. Ten PM. Shh, nobody's not supposed to know about my eating regime. <laughs> so yeah, everybody else was just awesome. Those those were the main key highlights. I mean, the directing to in this film is next to nothing. You know, it's it's pretty outstanding and it's incredibly difficult to direct such a story. Okay. It's so easy to come off as Quite, quite corny, very cheesy. Has no real good flow to it. Has very, very predictable circumstances. But Rian Johnson managed to make a film very unpredictable, given the nature of the story, which is the crux of it is a mystery, and it was unpredictable because, you know, before we even get to like the second act, we get the murder, the murderer revealed. Or, what, mm. or who we sort of come to believe as the murderer. Like, that reveal happens super quick. And that's a big turn of events. Um, and, um, yeah, re- really kind of pushing back the, <clears throat> those expectations. <clears throat> I'm, I'm choking here. <laughs> yeah, man. I feel like that, there's actually
1: two key moments where they go against, like... Um... Oh, I know the tropes. And I really enjoyed that. Cause you know me, I kind of hate like sort of tropes that like are always run into the ground. Like the fact that like within, I think it's like within 30 minutes, you find out who killed the, the victim yeah. and and how it happened. Like you normally don't see that so early. Yeah. And then like, um, uh, oh, spoiler, I don't really know, but like, like maybe a th- two thirds of the way through the film, mm-hmm. um, the detective admits that he knows the truth. That's right. And so, like, these are, like, I thought, like, the first one was a bit of a, a switch up, and I'm like, okay, cool, that's, that's kind of cool. But then I was, I was on the edge of my seat thing, oh, will he catch her, will he catch will he catch her? Mm-hmm. And then two thirds of the way through, he's like, yeah, I know what happened. And so that, as soon as it happened, I was like, oh, I'm calm again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. No, but I enjoyed both
0: I mean, that, that it's great. I mean, that's why I figured that this would be a film that you would really enjoy because it goes against all those classic tropes of what a film, a film, this is a genre film, you know, and the genre is murder mystery. <clears throat> and that's a that's a genre that nobody really looks into anymore. They think it's probably like a dead genre. And then you have guys like Rian Johnson who brings that back into the fold and um, really kills it. He knocks it out of the park with... Um, Going against the grain, going against those expectations of we'd normally just wait for the punchline, which is right in the end of the third act as to who the murderer really is. Um, but the the great thing about this film is that it still does a little bit of that because <clears throat> because even though we get that reveal super early, there's a lot that doesn't get revealed or let's say more of the, the pages start to unfold yeah. about I- that reveal. Like
1: there's still a significant amount of mystery into like, you know, the murder isn't the mystery. Everything Mm -hmm. that surrounds the murder is the mystery. And I think that's cool. yeah.
0: Yeah. 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 Yeah, exactly. So yeah, man, really loved it. The direction is just, I have no faults against the direction and incredibly funny, like all amongst all the great crafting around the cinematography, the direction, the performances, um, the pacing of the film, all those key elements that make a great film, in amongst the whole thing, it's funny. And I, I'm, yeah. not, I'm not expecting to laugh at any point at all. It's just the clumsiness of the characters make you laugh. And Ricky Gervais says something like something similar to this where to the effect of um, uh, a person, a character isn't funny because they're trying to be funny. They're funny because they they think truly deep down inside that they are good at being something. Right. Mm, so an example. Reineke. So an example is like he he said this. Um, it was so it's actually a pretty funny story. He said someone sent him an email because they saw what he had done with the first season of Office, and they sent him an email saying, "Dear Ricky Gervais, I saw the Office, and I think you should hire me because I'm a brilliant actor." <laughs> and then he hired them because he thought it was hilarious. Right. Oh, really? Because 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 that person thought deep down inside that they were like a really good actor and he just thinks that this person's dumb enough to think that they're a good actor and so that's what he would say is good comedy you know, because everybody in the office, like all those characters, they're all very self I don't know about self-aware, but they're all characters that inherently believe that they're good at something, but they're really bad at it. So it's like the opposite of self-awareness in a way, right? Like it's the exact opposite opposite. Yeah, being the opposite of and he finds that funny. And it's true. Like, that is funny. When somebody when somebody <laughs> comes out and says, I'm a terrific actor.
1: <laughs> it's is like, that person in season two? There's like a bit I of an story. So.
0: Yeah. make uh, yeah. me want to watch. I want to, like, sort of find who yeah. this actor is. Yeah. But you get his point, right? You get his point. It's like, well, yeah. the funny people are the ones who think they're really good at something. And, like, his character, uh, what's it called? Something Brent. Uh, uh David Brent. David Brent. David Brent. Mm. Like, he just thinks that he's the best at being a manager, but he's like really terrible at it. And so that's why he would consider as good comedy. And, and this is what I'm trying to say about these characters. Yeah, they all just they all have this kind of sanctimony to them. Yeah, um, they all think they're amazing at what they do. They all think they're amazing. They're all like pretty self-righteous, and um, and it's it's pretty evident in. Let's say the the dad. Uh, I can't remember who plays the dad again. At the bottom. Um it it is Frank Oz, right? Yeah, who plays Ellen no, no, Stevens? Uh, Christopher Plummer. No, 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 sorry, not that dad. Not the dad. I'm thinking like one of the dads who's the husband to Jamie Lee Curtis's character. Oh, that is uh I think it's Don Johnson. Richard Don Drysdale. Don. Yeah, there we go. That makes sense because they've got the same last name. Yeah, he he's pretty funny and like he's a bit stuck up himself and and shit like that and he thinks he's hot shit
1: i think he actually does a very good job of his character because like um uh are we Are we already jumping into the recap? I guess um, we are, yeah. <laughs> there's like there's this <clears throat> really there's this fun trope in this film. I wouldn't call it a trope. I keep saying the word trope, I should stop. Um where they keep saying, Oh, she's a great kid, you know, she's like family. And then you <laughs> slowly see the way through the flashbacks, how they treat her, and they treat her like garbage, right? Yeah. And he's the best at it because um there's this scene where it's like like they, they show him like kind of waving over to her, like, hey, come, come, hang out. Um and you don't see the rest of that scene. And then at the end, of near the end of the movie, you see the rest of that scene. And he's like, come, you know, you're an immigrant, and you did it legally, so you're going to help my case.
0: And then take my
1: plate. And then and then he holds his plate out, and then she mm. grabs it, and he's like, he lets her walk off with it. Yep. It's just, I'm saying, I know he does such a good job of being a prick.
0: He does a good job of being a prick, being... um completely ignorant and arrogant to the people mm-hmm. around him and also the people that he chooses to not really interact. But he has this God complex to him where he wants to make it out as if he cares about everybody. So it's it's really hard to strike a balance with that. And I think he just he kills it, absolutely kills it. <clears throat> All right, um, we should definitely get into the recap because uh, we're a little bit behind. Oh, wow. I like and that. I like movies. that effect. Wait, that's not the one we use. We used to use this one. It was very similar. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Enough of that. Uh, getting into the recap. So, we're going to be talking about the entire film, uh, the plot. We're going to walk through it. We're going to actually speed through the plot so we can talk about the really cool and exciting things about the whole story because there's quite a lot to unpack. So, I think I'm going to speed through it as, as fast as I can but really spend our time talking about the key things that really stood out to both both of us individually. And I think we'll find that we'll be aligned on those things that stood out too. Mm. Okay. <clears throat> All right. So act one, we start off with the family of Harlan Thrombey, a wealthy myst- uh, mystery novelist, attends his, uh, his 85th birthday party at his Mas- Massachusetts, oh, I do not even know it was Massachusetts, <laughs> mansion not that that's important <laughs> um the next morning harlan's housekeeper fran finds him dead um with his throat slit okay wait. i, I just want to talk about this oh nice creaking in the background yeah, yeah. <laughs> adding mystery it's adding uh, suspense um i want to talk about this this first scene you know the scene opens up with like a super slow motion um shot of the dogs running towards the camera and I don't even <clears throat> remember that. And I saw this like yesterday. You don't remember that? Yeah. So the opening shot is, it's of the mansion and it looks haunted. You get this kind of feeling that it's going to be in a haunted mansion or whatever, <clears throat> but it's not really a haunted mansion. It's just a beautiful old mansion. And the scene is um, like, that shot opens up with a really loud violin. It goes, Ding! like almost like a oh, old horror film. Like a Nolan type of noise? No, nah, it's like a old like 1940s horror film. That's how it opens up. It's like a super loud, abrupt violin, which is a way, I guess it was Rian Johnson's way of saying, pay attention from this moment on. And never, never lose, lose your attention because there's going to be a lot of dialogue. And I'm only saying this because of like, I've seen it now, right? There's a lot of dialogue. There's a lot of pieces to the puzzle that you need to put together. And I think that's. I'm thinking artistically, that he wants you to be fully attentive to what's going on. So that's why it's an abrupt violin. It's like super loud. And then there's a slow motion shot of um, the dogs running down the field almost towards the camera, and then it gets into it. And then every single shot is like snappy. It's quick cuts. It's like close-ups of um, random pieces of art around the mansion, close-ups of like teacups and whatever. It's just doing all these close-ups. And I think that's an attempt for you to just – you're paying attention, just keeping your attention alive for this beginning scene. And that kind of sets the tone, the comedic tone, the dramatic tone, the mysterious tone for the rest of the film. And so when we get to this part where she's walking up the stairs with a tray, the breakfast tray or whatever, or the tea tray, she's calling out um, Thromby's name. Um, And then she gets up to the attic, finds that he's dead with his uh, throat slit. I just love, because at that moment we're expecting a loud screech and scream, right? We're, we're, right. Okay. We're, we're expecting, oh, she does. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. We're, we're expecting her to be like, ah, cause that's what you would expect. Right. That's most movies. Yeah. But totally, totally like through our expectations out of the window. With her reaction, do you remember what her reaction was? She kind of like drops the. She doesn't drop it. Like she like spills the train. and then she's like, "Oh crap!" Or something, yeah, right? yeah. She looks at she she looks at the train. and she kind of like waddles it a little bit, and she was like, "Oh shit!" And she was more concerned about dropping the co- the coffee cup. Yeah, <laughs> right. You know that, that actually didn't
1: jump out at me until now that oh, you mentioned it. Oh
0: no way! Yeah. yeah, that's that's kind of what set me into the mood. It set me into the tone of the film because. It's clearly going to be something that you're not expecting and everything's going to be a little bit backwards and a little bit quirky. And the fact that she she doesn't react by screaming, she just she reacts in a way that she cares more about the coffee spilling. So that's why she tried to catch it. <laughs> Which is weird, right? Because I think she doesn't hate him. Like, the dad is cool, I feel mm, like. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't think she hates him, but I also I – th- I think it was more of – of a thing for Ryan Johnson to be like, your character's also going to be a little bit quirky and weird. Yeah. And, I, and when you walk up the stairs, you're not going to react in a normal way. You're just going to react by, oh shit, I'm about to drop something. I feel like it does set a good comedic tone
1: for the film. Like that's definitely right in line with how the rest of the film is.
0: Yeah. Cause straight after yeah. straight after her reaction to the coffee cup, Knives Out shows up like the title in big bold letters. Or big bold right. Okay. Words, Knives Out. And I was like, this movie's going to be great like as soon as that <laughs> that title came up is like this movie's going to be amazing wow okay yeah no i didn't get that i not mean- <laughs> <laughs> it dude. i had yeah. a slow warm up i had a slow warm up jeez i mean that, that so to me like when i watch it again it's like that whole first shot is crafted intentionally so you pay attention as an audience member you look at all the details um, for no reason at all. You have to just look at the details because of the way the camera shots are. They're super close-ups, they wide shots and everything. It's, it's doing these fast cuts just to get you sort of warmed up for the film in, in, mm. in a way, right? And then he does that comedic tone, flashes to the title of the film, knives out. <clears throat> uh, the next morning, Harlan's... Oh, I've yeah, already done that. <laughs> Lieutenant Elliot and Trooper Wagner believe Harlan's death to be a suicide. But private detective Benoit Blanc is anonymously anonymously hired to investigate. Blanc learns Harlan's relationships with his various family members were strained. On the day of his death, Harlan threatened to expose his son-in-law Richard for cheating on his daughter Linda, cut off uh, off his daughter-in-law Joni's allowance for stealing from him, fired his son Walt from his publishing company and had an altercation with his grandson ransom so this all these montages like it's going to be a little bit tricky for us the way we'd normally go through the recap right Mm. it's going to be a little bit tricky for us to navigate a little bit because of the way the whole film is yeah i
1: feel like each of these things they're not like one after each other right like they're kind of like separated by you know bit of present day bit of Mm -hmm. um conversation bit of flashback and i think this movie does a really good job of um like you kind of get enough of a teaser of everyone's story because you're kind of getting like what really happened straight away in Mm -hmm. most cases like you don't get a whole lot of like this is what they said and they're lying usually like they're lying, and then straight after it, it cuts to what actually happened. Mm-hmm. I really appreciated that because what it did was it opened up a bunch of threads, um, very, very, very early on where you're like thinking, "Oh, they could have done it. Oh, they could have done it." Like everyone has a motive to do it here, mm-hmm. and so that kind of made it really interesting. Mm-hmm. And I just like the fact that they didn't suspend you on
0: the same crap that other movies suspense sure.
1: you over. Yeah. yeah,
0: it's um, it does a lot of non-linear storytelling, but manages to keep you. Well, anchored with the prison day. And the anchored part of that prison day is done in the form of interviews.
1: Uh, mm. When
0: Benoit Blanc, or it's actually not Benoit Blanc, it's the other guy played by Lakeith. Um, What's his name? Lieutenant he, Elliot. Lieutenant Elliot, yeah, played by uh, Lakeith Stanford, Stanfield. <clears throat> um, he's running all the interviews um, or interrogation interviews, if you want to call it that. Uh, with each character and each character has their moment to shine so this is our first real introduction to all the characters which is uh, amazing
1: so the thing i like just quickly about this was that the fact that like they've clearly had these conversations before so lakeith is a bit frustrated because he's like why am i doing this again and every other character's kind of got a a bit of an edge to them as well because they um are a little bit frustrated and then you've got like benoit in the back just playing the piano at a key moment so you're like thinking okay this guy's a big deal too I just think the movie does a really good job of showing you a bunch of information that that's all pertinent.
0: Showing you a bunch of information that doesn't, doesn't tire itself out to be, or retire itself out to be over exposition.
1: Yeah. Like it doesn't feel like someone just telling me the plot. Right. Even though actually what, uh, nah, it's it scenes, it's scenes that it, they are showing me in, in scene form, but yeah, it, it, mm-hmm.
0: It's a lot of information as if someone's still just telling me the plot, but they're not. So it's good. It's an incredibly clever way of, of doing exposition, I'd say. Yeah. Um, but yeah, um, the interviews are really, really awesome. So what, what, why don't we just talk a little bit about our favorite interviews in this segment for the first act? Mm, who, guess... who, are, who are your favorite character introductions is probably the best way to put it. I would say at this
1: point, like, I think I liked Walt the the publishing son quite a lot like i think his interview had a lot of edge to it like again like a very defensive guy a very sort of like weak guy he clearly is insecure about himself so all of the questions were kind of cutting in a way and he he kind of felt that emotion bubble up um that was easily probably my favorite one i think Joni was just fun from a comedic point of view
0: um that's the tony <laughs> Colette's character i forgive you <laughs> Yeah, she's like when win I think it's uh Elliot, he like I think he apologised for something something small, like because he doesn't know which what, what the brand is or whatever. Yeah, like, oh flam, yeah flam. He's like, oh I yeah, that's you. right. The blam is like, I forgive you.
1: I love then at the end of that interview, he's like, okay, let's take a break, and then she just leaves, and it's like, oh, she's gone.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> she's, a, she's a very funny
0: part of this film. She is very very good. I love her. So what was your favorite? Um man, it's hard. It's hard because I, I really love all the character introductions. I I think I'd probably choose Don Johnson. Oh, really? Yeah, okay. I think because like he's not the most standout character in this interview part, but I think it's because of what I learn about him later that he's this narcissistic, self-indulgent pretends to care about people but doesn't really he does it only in the best interest of his image um and we really get a good dose of that or get a good impression of that in this interview because one of them one of my favorite things that he says and this is part of this is like feeding into him being such a narcissistic fool mm. and such a such a douchebag for it is uh when he's talking about um uh Marta, when he's saying uh Cause Elliot like asks about Marta, and then he starts always like, "Yeah, she's part of the family, and uh, she's great." Family's from Paraguay.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they keep
0: changing the country. I love that. Like,
1: <laughs> I think like the Linda, Linda says Romania. He says Paraguay. But it's funny because he There's says Paraguay.
0: Say no, I think, I think. um, I think Linda says like Peru or something. Or maybe Peru. Yeah. Or Ecuador, maybe. Ecuador, Ecuador. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then then it comes back to Don Johnson. I think like about 20 minutes later, he's like, family's from Uruguay. Yeah, the, thing, the funny thing with him is that he gets it wrong like
1: three times, I think. He's yeah. like Brazil, Paraguay, yeah. like Colombia or something. It's, oh, it's so good. You, you never learn where she's actually from.
0: No, and that's like, the funny thing about it. It's because we never know where she's actually from by the time we get to the end of the film. I thought we should correct them, but she's like way too, I guess, like she's way too. Yeah, she's way too timid, too shy. She's super defensive against the family. And part of... Part Of her character is also just having so much respect from the family. I do um, enjoy the fact that, like, when you're introduced to Don
1: Johnson's character, like, Linda's like, Are you gonna try and get to, like, are you trying to beat me to talk shit about my brother, mm-hmm. um, in front of the police? I would never do that, I'm not that dumb. And then it and cuts <laughs> it's like, That guy's a bastard.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh man, and he's actually one of the first guys to, um, to start seeing things that, um, allow us as the audience members to figure out, oh, they're actually all. Like, all these interviews are uh, designed to pin each other against. Uh, yeah. yeah. pinned all the characters against each other. So, And he, I'm pretty sure he was one of the first guys to express that.
1: Like he takes the bait straight away. Yeah, that's actually oh. a really strong part of the um the plot, too. Because until you realize, because you think that they're all together with the Jamie Lee Curtis character. For sure. And then.
0: And then it cuts to him just, and he's like, nah, nah. And then it just slowly starts to unravel after that. Yeah. it's It's pretty much an avalanche after that. Uh, so yeah i think he was like one of my favorites but all of them were pretty good um and and i just i just love how don johnson's like when he's he's trying to understand like who elliot and the other detective are and then then he looks over to benoit blanc and he's like who the is that guy (laughs) I love how because he's also acting a little bit like the audience as well. Like,
1: yeah, I love it
0: when characters can sort of play the audience role as well as like asking the questions that we're asking, like who the hell's been my blah? Because it's it spends so much time just talking about their situations and their interaction with their father, um, but not at any point. We don't really see this. Um, getting to a point where we start to learn about Benoit Blanc and what his position is. So it's it's really tastefully brought into the fray a little bit later on after all the character introductions are done. It's great. Yeah,
1: that's actually a good point.
0: Mm. Um, okay, so <clears throat> unknown to Blanc, Harlan's nurse, Marta Cabrera, accidentally mixed – did I just – no, I didn't. No? I thought I mixed it up. It's just flying through. (laughs) Flying through. Unknown to Blanc, uh, Harlan's nurse, Marta Cabrera, accidentally mixed up his medications, making her think she overdosed him with morphine and was unable to find the antidote, leaving Harlan only minutes to live. Wanting to save Marta's family from scrutiny, her mother being an undocumented immigrant, Harlan gave her instructions to create a false alibi and then slit his own throat. Harlan's elder mother saw Marta carrying out his instructions, but mistook her for ransom. Marta cannot lie without vomiting. So she gives accurate, but incomplete answers when questioned. She agrees to assist in Blanc's investigation and conceals evidence for her actions as they search the property. Okay. So this is when the film really begins. Mm. Um, So everything is set up correctly. It's gone against the grain. I gone gone against like all our expectations of how this film was going to unfold and from this point on getting into the act two i have no idea what the film is going to like provide us you know i have no idea what the film is going to unfold to for the rest of it so it's actually kind of funny so i, I touched on this earlier like when this
1: happened when you found out how he died um i was like wow this is so refreshing it's like so different and then as the next couple of scenes played, um, that was when my tension started like going really high because I'm like, "Fuck, she's terrible!" Like, there's this really comedic scene where um, there's the ripped up like trellis pain or whatever like the wood thing that she climbed that she broke oh, yeah. she was climbing up the
0: trestle or something trestle i'm right not right sure now. what you
1: call it yeah and there's a scene with like benoit blanc um thinking in the
0: foreground he's and trying to got, figure it out he's doing his investigation
1: type yeah. thing and you've got like marta in the background with that thing she's like freaking <laughs> out she just throws it for the dog <laughs> and it's just like
0: these <laughs> scenes of like she's just terrible at this just clumsy people but it, yeah. it, also, it also shows that like even him being a world-renowned investigator, he's also kind of completely oblivious to Marta hiding things because he knows that she cannot lie. And I think one of the cleverest, cleverest things, one of the smartest things um, in the script, and amongst all the great smart scripting here, was <clears throat> the dialogue that set up between Harlan and Marta, and how she was going to eventually get away with quote-unquote murder while not actually lying. You know what I mean? Because of the way that she's going to explain her situation. And she had to carefully explain those sequences um, to show that she wasn't actually lying. But it was just the order in which she explained those sequences.
1: Yeah, and, like, obviously she doesn't do a great job because he kind of admits in the end, like, he knew from the start that she Mm -hmm. was in on it, right? Because of the blood on her foot. Um, But the thing that's kind of funny is... Oh, not, not funny, actually. I think this, like the film just does a good job. Like, between all the interviews, showing how the kids actually interact with the dad, and it's pretty much entirely, mm-hmm. I want your money. Mm-hmm. Um, And then you see how she interacts with him, and, like, it's just friends talking and, and having fun, and, like, weirdly, like, there's no, like, sexual element to it. Like, you, you kind of assume that it would kind of, like... Not that I think the film would actually push that, but, like, it just kind of feels like there'd be that tension, but it just feels very, very genuinely friendly, right? Which I appreciated. Mm. Um... But then, like, by the time he's willing to kill himself to save her family, you just buy that straight away. And I think they've done that with a very little amount of time mm-hmm. to show yeah. their relationship.
0: So That's I was it. impressed by that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> shit is just so good. So, so clever. Uh, so let's jump into Act 2. When Harlan's will is read, to everyone's shock, Marta is the sole beneficiary. This is such a funny scene. Ransom helps her escape the family's wrath, but he manipulates her into confessing to him. He offers his help in exchange for a share of the inheritance. The other thrombies try to persuade Marta to renounce the inheritance. Walt threatens to expose her mother's immigration status. So let's talk a little bit about this whole um, will reading, which is Mm. funny because the first time I saw it, I'd like to hear what you had to... Um, get from this scene but the first time i saw it i was not actually expecting mata to get the will like it wasn't that obvious to me Um, i think it's because at this point i'm still processing so much information in the film like there's so much that's going on there's so many characters involved and so many um you know so many uh like dramas that are happening and a lot of like corruption that's happening between the family members and seems like everybody's after the same thing which is just greed um that's the one thing that they all have in common is that they all just are after his 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 will and his money really (laughs) um and so when it got to the scene i just wasn't seeing i didn't see that coming at all that mata was going to be the one that um inherits the will. um did you see it the same way yeah, like, I didn't expect it. I kind of thought... I mean, like, it's kind of funny. With the
1: will scene, I, I didn't expect it to all go to Marta, but at the same time, if it didn't, I wouldn't have known what it was all for, right? Like, like the, the story could not really have progressed without that happening. Um, I, I thought it was really interesting with just how... Because like, at the start, you have them, like, sort of being, like, half-nice to Marta, and, like, it's really interesting because they... they, they Say that they like she's part of the family, they really like her, and then you see like little flashbacks of Meg treating her quite well, like whenever Martha's freaking out and they give her weed and they chat to her. Like, so it's actually quite positive, but then as soon as this happens, it goes like 180. Everyone Mm -hmm. just hates her, and um, I really think it sets up the rest of the movie really well,
0: which it confirms everybody's like bias, I I suppose, um, bias to their own selfish doings, you know, like, yeah, because I. So there are some characters
1: who are like like shown to be a little bit better. Like for example, Jamie Lee Curtis's character, like she's presented as not that greedy. She misses her dad. She's actually grieving him. She's mm-hmm. somewhat self-made. She doesn't actually need his money. Mm-hmm. But then she takes the leading role in like sort of demonizing Marta. Yeah. And then she's, she's the goes, first person that turns around and says,
0: You little
1: Bitch! Yeah, yeah, straight away. <laughs> and then you've got like um Catherine Langford's character, yep. I think yep. um Meg. Like she's been nicer in the past, and she's <laughs> the one who
0: like is trying to do the dirtiest thing really over the yep. phone. What what yeah. is uh what is her mum call, call her? like? The, the Marxist left wing, uh, something or other. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of funny they got like
1: a super left. You know, it's actually kind of interesting. They have a really super left wing person in, in Meg and a super right wing person, yeah. In um, which is just I Rian Johnson just
0: doing his homework and social media and internet rhetoric, right? Um, it's it was. I don't know if it was super important for him to have that in the in the uh, in the Not film, but, all, really. but it was it was really just for him to add more comedic tension. I think because you have these very relevant and very modern archetypes you can mm. call them archetypes right like internet archetypes or internet trolls um so it was, uh, i thought that was pretty funny having and and it's actually good that we didn't get an overindulgent screen time with them i think it was fine yeah. with just being in the background and just being these annoying teenagers
1: like i thought the characters made sense the the characterizations worked and it gave them an identity like um but yeah it didn't affect the story too much yep. which i was happy with i didn't want to have like oh the trump guy is like super evil yeah um
0: it's kind the, of boring the, the, and and uh, and way too kind of expected, I guess, when you when you start to label them those left and right wing people or whatever. Yeah, mm-hmm. like they're, they're both kind of assholes in this movie, and that was kind of refreshing. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, it, it was good to just for them to have personalities because they're a part of the family, and so and it kind of makes sense when you have families that are dysfunctional in that kind of way. You have these ostracized teenagers um, that spend a lot of their time on the internet and don't mm. have that kind of family aspect to them. Um, yeah. Really, really funny. Okay, so... Yeah, so the the world gets red and blah, blah. Oh. Marta receives a blackmail note with a partial photocopy of Harlan's toxology report. She and Ransom drive to the medical examiner's office, but ha- it has been burned down. Marta receives an email proposing a rendezvous with the blackmailer. Blanc and the police spot them. It's funny how they spot them. They're like, they're in the car. Good. What are they? they, they this is... The- this is the funny aspect: is that they just think that they're so undercover and they're, they're doing everything on the sly, but <laughs> like in broad daylight, sitting in the middle of a driveway, thinking that by themselves, by themselves. And I think
1: it's hilarious too. When like in the next scene, they have this car chase, and like she gets away, right? But she's like, <laughs> she can barely push sixty in that car, <laughs> and so like you see Benoit Blanc pull up beside her and he's like what are you doing like just like looking at her and then when they park um Lakeith gets out of his car and he's like that was the worst car chase I've ever been in <laughs>
0: It's so good. The comedy is just like Christopher. I just, like, I was getting stitches, man, like laughing at this stuff. I just couldn't believe how funny it was. And again, it just goes back to that really dry humor that Ricky Gervais talks about how the funny characters are the ones that think they're really good at something, but they're actually really shit. (laughs) Yeah, like, you think it's like a good car chase. You don't think it's a good car chase, but you think it's like kind
1: of like you know she's doing a fine job. She <laughs> escapes, and then when they when when she like stops for a second, and you feel like they've escaped. Like they knock on the door and they're like, "We're here. We we found you." So we, it's
0: a small town. <laughs> they think they're doing a great job at just hiding and covering their tracks. It's just yeah. shit is just so hilarious. Um, uh yeah, so. Oh, man, I lost my, my, my tracks where I was at. I you're, here. you're at Blanc oh, here the police. Blanc and the police spot them. And after a brief car chase, <laughs> brief car chase, Ransom yeah. is arrested. Blanc explains that Harlan's mother saw Ransom climbing down from Harlan's room the night he died. At the rendezvous, Marta finds Fran, drugged. She performs CPR and calls an ambulance. She confesses to Blanc. Though Ransom has already informed on her, and she decides to tell the family that she caused Harlan's death, which would invalidate the will under the Slayer rule. Uh, back at the mansion, Marta finds a copy of the full toxicology report in Fran's cannabis stash. <laughs> she gives it to Blanc without reading it herself, and Blanc sees it. Uh, Blanc sees it shows little morphine in. Uh, Harlan's system and interrupts Marta before she can confess. Blanc reveals his deductions to the detectives, Marta and Ransom. After Ransom learned Harlan was leaving everything to Marta, he swapped the contents of Harlan's medication vials and stole the antidote so that Marta would kill Harlan and thus become ineligible to claim the inheritance. But Marta actually gave Harlan the correct medication subconsciously recognizing uh it by its viscosity and she only thought she had poisoned him after reading the label okay so i just pretty much unpacked like the big punch to the whole film yeah (laughs) yeah that one bit but um i want to actually start off like by um just going back to that point where she finds the seemingly dead um fran um that was a freaky thing. That theme, was a freaky <laughs> Did you did you almost like vomit or something? No, I didn't <laughs> vomit. I mean I don't have that kind of reaction, but like I see the spider crawling oh, on my face. I'm like, what was, the fuck's
1: going on, man?
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it, it's funny because at at that point we had never really seen any gore or any kind of like horror element or anything. And that was like the first horror-esque element that we've seen in the film. Yeah. And like I thought like she was dead. I thought this person like when you see her in the
1: chair, you think, okay, this is definitely a dead person. Yeah, for sure. But it's not. It's like alive, but with a spider on calling on her face, don't do anything about it. It's like freakier. Exactly. Yeah.
0: It is kind of freaky. I was actually expecting a jump scare in the scene. It's kind of I think like this was ah, so you know
1: what's actually kind of interesting? As I'm watching it, um, the decisions or the things that are happening don't make a ton of sense, but you don't really question it. Like the idea that the blackmailer has burned down the medical examiner's office is kind of like a weird thing. It, it makes sense at the end when the, when Benoit Blanc explains it. But at the time I'm like, wait, why would the blackmailer destroy all the proof? And then like, you know, you've got like Captain America saying, um, oh, because now they've got the only copy. They can blackmail you really, mm-hmm. really well. Mm-hmm. But um. I just think, like, that's kind of fun. But I guess the thing that's interesting here is, like, when um, Marta saves Fran, I'm also thinking, this is your blackmailer. You should let this person die, right? Yeah. And I think it just feels like a dumb move, which is, like, similar to all of her previous dumb moves. You don't really – at least I didn't. I didn't catch it as, like, a, this is an overly compassionate move, which is on brand for Marta's character. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Yeah. <clears throat> I think um all the – um, all the decisions around um, making me as an audience member thinking, like thinking that uh, Benoit Blanc has no idea that Marta is actually the killer, because you know up until this point we still don't, I, I still don't think, or we still don't think that Benoit Blanc has figured out that Marta is actually not the killer. And it's not until we get to this scene, we're like, oh, okay. He actually knew the entire time. <laughs> it's not until yeah. like the end, end, oh, the like, end until end. after yeah, this. Yeah. yeah like up yeah. to this point, you feel like
1: he, she's gotten away with it because dogs like her. Yep. Cause he's just constantly like saying, wow, dogs, no good people. Mm, yeah. You never lie. You're a great person. And he's mm, also, he's got a well, kind
0: heart. it's that, but it's, he's also relying on this idea that she always vomits or regurgitates. Right.
1: Everybody yeah. Vomits. Yeah. Like when they have the car chase, I'm like, what does well, she like, as she's doing the car chase, I'm like, you know you idiot benoit blanc saw you now you're gonna get caught Mm -hmm. but then he's like ransom made you do it didn't he? yeah
0: (laughs) everything's kind of caught like falling into that hole like oh there's a reasonable explanation because she's completely innocent
1: yeah like it's just kind of funny like this is also quite comedic too because again for me i'm feeling that stress of is he gonna catch her and she's just doing a lot of dumb things that would lead to a person getting caught Mm -hmm. and then it just all the time resolves in Benoit Blanc thinking of a reasonable reason why it's not
0: her fault. But I think it's also because he just doesn't, he kind of sees her as being clumsy and she would never be smart enough to cover her tracks. I think that's also what he sees, right? Like, yeah, like she's not or, smart enough to kind of like know what to do here. She's just being a little bit clumsy and there's a reasonable explanation outside of it. There's possibly an element of just him keeping his cards
1: close to his chest, right? Cause at the end he does say, Which, I knew yeah. you are involved. Yeah. So maybe he just was, like,
0: not trying to alienate her too quickly. Yeah. Because I think um, it was his tactic to try and bring Ransom out of the shadow as well.
1: Yeah. And so that moment when they're in the hospital and um, she's like, you know what? Like, too many people are getting hurt now. I'm just going to tell you the truth. And he's like, oh, yeah, Ransom told me. It's fine. Yeah. Like, that was the moment where I got to really enjoy this game. <laughs>
0: <laughs> really? Yeah,
1: because after that moment, all the tension just melted away, man. Like, I was because like,
0: You're so tense, right? Because
1: so now I'm on the side of the smart guy. I like being mm. on the side of the smart guy in movies because, you know, you got protagonist armor. You're weak. But I am. I am. I don't like the idea that the smart guy is working for the bad people. You want the smartest guy. You want to be on that guy's side every time.
0: I see what you're saying. But okay. Yeah. So. Wait, should we talk about anything? Because there's a lot that's happened. There's a lot Uh, that's happened, yeah. He saw the contents of Harlan's medication. So we get this big reveal that uh, Mata is actually innocent the entire time. She was willing to reveal her um, guilty. Reveal her guilty? She was willing to tell everybody that she was guilty and she was the one that actually killed um, Harlan. But then, Mm. like, everything is, like, very well-timed, you know. The way the dialogue is thrown back and forth. like there's, there's always a lot of back and forth in this entire film with the dialogue, but the timing is really, really, really good um, because Rian Johnson decides that he wants to reveal a certain aspect to the plot or to the reveal, reveal the reveal in stages strategically so that you're not going to be um, expecting what the, I guess, third act was, is going to be. Right. Yeah, that's uh, a good thing about this movie in the sense of, like,
1: mystery films, because if you watch, like, one of those Poirot films or whatever, mm. it's like question, 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 and then the last 15 minutes um, he'll be like, well, here's what happened, and he'll just, like, you know, he'll do what what, what uh Daniel Craig does here, where he, like, explains everything, mm. but it's, like, just a crap load of questions in, with nothing <clears throat> to go off, and yeah. then eventually he just pieces it all together. And mm. that's, like, cathartic at the end, but the first of the film is a little bit frustrating. Mm -hmm. I find this movie
0: does a really good job of just sort of slowly feeding you the answers. Yep. I think it's also because he just didn't want to do the same, um, the same system or the same structure that most murder mysteries have, which is Mm -hmm. what you're describing before in that Poirot film. But um, I think he's just done his homework and figured out what the audience would be really more interested in rather than just a a series of questions that would just ultimately render people to being tired of it. You know, you get sort of exhausted by the end of the film and you don't really care what the cathartic moment would be. With something like Knives Out, it's like there's a question and then an answer, a question and then an answer, a question and then the answer, which is not what I would expect at all in A Murder Mystery.
1: Exactly, yeah, um, and
0: I, I like that a lot more because it's a lot less
1: frustrating and it becomes more of a, a story about people rather than a story about a crime. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas all the other movies are about, like, oh, this crime. And it's kind of like a heist film in a way because the crime is always yeah. super elaborate. Whereas this one... It's more
0: about l- people, yeah.
1: Yeah, the crime is really basic.
0: It's about just trying to sort of get the people together. And that's what that's kind of what makes this film so powerful is that the characters are also invested into that. Their- it it wouldn't have like this is going to be a weird thing to say, but it wouldn't, it literally wouldn't work if the characters weren't as written or fleshed out as they are. Yeah, like, if the characters be- were so flat, if they were so sort of cardboard mm-hmm. and they were just there to serve the essence of the story. Like this is a film that's more about characters than the story itself, because the story usually in good films, at least in my opinion, good films are great stories with characters that complement their story whereas I think this is a very character-driven film. Yeah, for sure. And it's all about the characters, and they're all serving the well, – or the plot serving them more than anything.
1: And one thing that I think this film – that helps this film as well is that, like, you've got these people who are, like, terrible people, right? Like, they're, they're, they're greedy and they're selfish and all that kind of stuff. Mm. But you know, at least in this particular instance, they're not capable of murder. Like, mm-hmm. they haven't murdered anyone. Yep. And so I think that really, like, tethers them to the ground because you've got, like, Walt um, – you know, talking to her in her apartment building to try and get her to renounce her um, inheritance. And that could be a really frightening scene if it was possible that he was the killer. That's right. Yeah. But you know he's not. And so I feel like that, um, I don't know, It just it, again, it, it grounds all of those characters being mm-hmm. like, they're awful, but they're not that awful. They're not
0: awful enough to kill somebody. Yeah, and, it, and, it, and I think that's what, that. at least that's what I got from every single character is like none of these characters are... Evil enough to kill. I think the only one closer to getting to that point would probably be Don Johnson. He just gives me that kind of macho, don't give a shit. Like I'll do nah, anything. I reckon he'd hire someone.
1: Oh, hi- yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs>
0: that's right, that's right. He would hire somebody. But I guess yeah, more to that point is, is that none of these characters are um uh brave enough. <laughs> if you want to use brave in yeah. that kind of weird way, brave enough to um, even try to attempt murder. So. Pretty funny Alright, so Act 3 When the death was reported as a suicide Ransom anonymously hired Blanc To expose Marta Fran saw Ransom tampering with the crime scene And sent him with the blackmail note After he realised Marta Was not responsible for Harlan's death But Marta still thought she was He forwarded the letter to Marta And burned down the medical Examiner's office to destroy evidence Of her innocence crazy, huh? When all this kind of stuff is happening, I'm like, whoa, how many more twists and turns do we have to this? The thing I love about this is you're getting a question,
1: answer, question, answer, and at the end, the final cathartic explanation is still very, like, drawn out, it makes a lot of sense, it's all the pieces coming together, like, you still get that moment, Mm -hmm. even, like, the answers you previously had are not the actual answers, like, the sort of, you can't trust the narrator in a way, I forget, what's the term for that? Uh, whatever. Whatever. Um, but yeah like I just think that like I enjoy it when these murders are actually very very um, intricate and this one this at least what um, Chris Evans was
0: doing was very intricate (laughs) it's just it's really just well well written really really good scripting Ocean's Eleven-esque yeah like all more complex yeah it's more complex more intricate and more nuanced I think um, <clears throat> he overdosed Fran with morphine, intending for Marta to get caught with Fran's corpse. <laughs> After a call from the hospital, Marta tells Ransom that Fran has survived and will implicate uh, him, um, causing Ransom to confess angrily to tricking her into killing Harlan. Just then, Martin vomits on, <laughs> vomits on him. Mm-hmm. Fran is actually dead. Confess. Oh, sorry. Oh, I actually did realizing he has been caught as Wagner recorded the conversation. He attacks her with a knife from Harlan's collection, which turns out to be a retractable stage knife. <laughs> mm. This whole So this whole slow motion scene it's so cool. Really cool. Slow motion. Everything's so melodramatic and it's purposely done this way. I think so he can. Uh, so when I say he, I'm thinking about Rian Johnson. He can illustrate this. Over dramatic or over melodramatic scene or murder scene that you would normally see in like a tragic mm. uh, Shakespearean murder uh, scene. You know what I mean? Like, I think he's trying to illustrate that because this is kind of the punchline in some ways, but it's also saying that this is our shitty attempt, but really good attempt of <laughs> such a bad murder mystery. Ending. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Like, that's kind of what I'm getting from that. It's like, it's a little bit of a a tease and... Like
1: a nod to the murder mysteries of yesteryear.
0: Yeah, exactly. Like a nod to that and sort of a homage to that, but then saying that this is kind of a shitty ending because these characters are just so dumb. Yeah. <laughs> Cause the way that he, he just like kind of like pokes, pokes, and he's like, Oh yeah. crap. <laughs> he's like, like, oh, all they all grab him after that. It's yeah, it's pretty, I was not expecting the knife to be retractable stage. Like who has a retractable stage knife? <laughs> it's funny though. Like at the start of the film, Harlan actually says
1: something along the lines of like, I was like, you know, you'll never know which ones are the stage ones and which ones are the real oh,
0: ones. Oh, that's what he, he was referring to.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, like, wow. have to call back to that one statement. Oh, my God. Bro. One one scene that I thought was kind of cool, when Benoit, like... Because there's that chair. It's like a sort of a knife chair. You know what I mean? Like the, yeah. the chair that you sit in and all the knives are pointing at your head.
0: It's like the Game um, of Thrones chair or something.
1: Yeah, it's like the Iron Throne, but with knives. Um, <laughs> I think it's... I know it's a cool thing where you've got Benoit Blanc sitting there and he's got all the knives pointing at him. Cause it's, it's kind of, I guess, thematic in a way, wait, what's the term? A metaphor of like sort of everyone is sort of looking at him. Mm-hmm. They're angry at him. because mm-hmm. He's the one who's like causing a lot of trouble. Mm-hmm. Um, And then he goes there and sort of finds his way around the knives by explaining
0: what he's figured out. Exactly. And he's pulling all the knives out pretty much. I think is.
1: Yeah. Kind uh, of. Meta
0: commentary like, perhaps. Um, Cause I've, I've thought a little bit about, I haven't, applied a lot of thought but i have thought a little bit about why the film is called knives out and it, it'll be some kind of deep-seated message around um metaphors and the characters oh wow and, okay
1: yeah i thought it was just like in his speech to the family when he actually like tells them off finally he says like they're like vultures mm-hmm. within well that knives out beaks bloody to yep. try and get the money from harlan i'm like ah oh, it's the name of the movie yeah yeah exactly <laughs>
0: But I think it is also some kind of metaphor illustration. There is or,
1: probably I would be surprised if there was no depth to it, other than yeah. the fact that they they say it once. Yeah,
0: or that could be the genius part of it is that they just mention it in the film. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like that. This kind of film lends it, lends itself to that type of thing where you're thinking it's going to be this overly complex like um, description around why the film is called this way because Rian Johnson thought about this amazing thing, and he might just be like in the end. No, I just thought it was a cool name for a film. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to call it Big's
1: Bloody, but it was a coin flip. <laughs>
0: <laughs> exactly. Um, just in Marta Vomissio went that. Um, with Ransom's murder confession recorded and having witnessed his attempted murder of Marta, the police arrest him. Linda finds a note from Harlan about her husband's adultery. Blanc tells Marta he suspected early on that she played a part in Harlan's death noting a tiny blood spot on her shoe uh-huh. mm. That's the big they rule. show they're
1: like at the start of the film they show like they zoom on the they shoe and they're like dun,
0: dun, dun, yeah, dun, dun. exactly it's a funny close-up as well <laughs>
1: yeah. and at that point i was like oh god she's far like she's screwed right and we don't like, actually like,
0: think about that until we get to the end
1: Man, I was nervous about that. Like, I was nervous about that all the way up until the hospital scene when she confesses and he's like, yeah, he's cool with it. Because, yeah, you know, I was deathly afraid of her getting caught and arrested.
0: That's right. But yeah, it's funny how it sort of flashes back to that earlier scene because I totally forgot about that. Um, (laughs) And I think that's what the film does really well is that it does a lot to throw so many things at you, making you, kind of forcing you to forget about what's actually happened throughout the film. And then once it sort Mm. of wraps up, Swings back to all those scenes that actually matter um, to the story. It's just brilliant. Brilliant writing. Um, as Ransom is taken into custody, Marta watches from the balcony of her mansion with the rest of the family gathered below. What a great yeah. last shot to the to the film.
1: I actually really loved the, the imagery of this shot. Like the idea oh. that she's up top now, they're on the bottom now, they're looking up, she's looking down. Yeah. Um, You know, it gets a little bit on the nose at the end, um, because in her on the cup it says "My house, my rules,"
0: which is a cup that we saw in the first shot of the film.
1: Oh, is that? Yeah, remember how I was talking?
0: Yeah, Yeah, because remember we we established that you didn't really pay that much attention to the opening scene. (laughs) I did not. No, not at all. (laughs) Is that opening opening shot? Is like there's all these close-ups on different ornaments and cups and whatever, and we do see that mug. My house, my rules.
1: Okay. But no, I just, I, I kind of liked it because like this had this running theme of like, you know, they kind of thought they were above her. Like they clearly mm-hmm. did. Right. They didn't know where she came from. They kept saying she's a good kid. She works hard. She's from like Paragon. Her. Yeah. But like, I, like it's like positive things without actually knowing who she is. Yep. Like they only ever, they don't talk about anything about her personality. Just mm-hmm. good kid, hard worker.
0: mm mm-hmm. Whereas,
1: like, Harlan actually knew who she was as a person. Exactly. Um, And so when you have that flip where she's looking down
0: on them, I thought, oh, this is a cool way to end this. Great imagery. Um, Really, really good way of, like, changing that status. And it's not like she, quote-unquote, earned her status to that. It's more just a consequence of everybody just being stupid and also her being partly stupid and just kind of having sheer luck. (laughs) Mm. Like, nobody actually worked hard to get to where they were by the time they got to the end of the film. Everybody just exposed, like, how bad they were at everything. (laughs) Well, she
1: kind of, like, mentions it halfway through when she's talking to Chris Evans, right? Where she's, like, saying, maybe it's about you, not me. Like, Mm -hmm. it's kind of like she wins by default Mm -hmm. because everyone else is just so terrible at this
0: game. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Like, yeah, she wins just because, yeah, everyone else is terrible and she also doesn't have any attention to win. And so it's almost... It's almost like that hidden meaning behind the story, whereas, like, the underdog would win because they have no intention of winning anyway. Yeah. I think Daniel Craig kind of mentions that at the end of the film.
1: He's like, you know, the reason you won is because you 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 weren't actually playing to win. You are mm.
0: just doing things your way. Exactly.
1: And everybody was yeah. trying to cheat
0: in the game. Exactly.
1: Yeah, yeah. And, like, again, I think it's cool when you see at the end... Um, you know, you've got Don Johnson, like, sort of waving money at the police to try and get, like, yeah. ransom out of yeah. it. You've got, like, um, the Meg character. Like, by then, the Meg character, who you had a lot of sympathy for before, you actually have very little sympathy for now. And she's the first one that looks up and sees Marta in a new position.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. All
0: right. That's the end of our recap, man. That is. The we did it in record our... time today, I feel like. Dude, we did so well. Big, 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 uh, pat on a, what am I trying to say? Pat on the back. Pat on the back, yeah. There you go. Bit of laughing, (laughs) drum roll? Nope. I don't know why I put a drum roll. Clapping, here we go. (laughs) Nice. Nice. All right, Tony, out of
1: 10, give it to me. Out of 10. Um, I would give this, hmm, this is hard. Well, I I give it a creak. Um... (laughs) It's just tough. I kind of want to make you go first. Okay. So Mm, the weird thing is I think this is like probably the pinnacle of the genre Mm -hmm. of a genre. I don't particularly like that. you You think this is the standard now? I'll say this is like the standard of a genre, but I will preface it by saying it's a genre I don't particularly care for that much. That's mm. sort of, that's where I'm sort of at.
0: But, um, did you say now you care about because there's such a roaring standard now. No, 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 oh, no. Like, okay. um, a bit too skirmish. I'm a yeah, I was a little bit skirmish. I think like
1: this thing like took a lot of, um, things and made them different. I appreciate that. I mm-hmm. think it was like sort of a, um, very well acted film very well written film mm-hmm. visually really really great so like, it's hard to say anything wrong with it except for the fact that for the first half i wasn't enjoying myself Fair. and that Fair. to me deserves some negative points so i was going to give it like maybe like an like an 8.5 or something because overall it's a great film but i can't sort of ignore the fact that i wasn't having a great time for a portion there
0: interesting so 8.5
1: that's for me, yeah. Right. I feel like you're, like, sort of close to a 10 here.
0: It's uh, it's going on the board. 8.5 out of 10. Tony, 2022,
1: 12, 12. <laughs> yeah, yeah, nice. <laughs> no, I, I'm standing by this. You know what? I stand by it. I stand right, by you it. You stand
0: by it. All right. Well, uh, I'm giving this a 10, dude. Yeah, you loved it. I can tell. I loved it. I love it. It's it's hard for me to not give something a 10 because for one, I'm not afraid of giving 10s. Two, you know, like we've already spoken about that, right? Like I'm not afraid of giving 10s. And I don't have to have this like overly complex reason um, why I give something 10s. Sometimes it's instinctual. Sometimes it's, it's uh, or well not completely instinctual. I shouldn't say that. Sometimes it's like instinct coupled with a lot of thought behind the rating, you know, and that thought really comes down to us doing the recap, talking about it profusely like thinking about it after seeing the film so yeah i've I've seen this three times now and i could could watch it like 10 more times it's just so enjoyable it's so i think the second time would be
1: much more fun for me like with that stress gone i would have a much more because like the thing is it's actually enjoyable like the the, the Mm -hmm. dialogue is on point Mm -hmm. the comedy is great the characters are all like
0: all super engaging Mm -hmm. i would enjoy this film a second time so it's the 2.5 that uh, is an indication of like how square
1: 1.5, 1.5. 1.5. Yeah. I think I still gave it a high thing. Like, no, it's it's a very well-made film. Um, I just like, I'm trying to sort of be really, I guess, personal with this. Mm-hmm. And like, yeah, there was like after the first third, I was like, Oh, I don't really want to watch this anymore.
0: That's fair. That's fair. That's
1: fair. <clears throat> yeah.
0: That's fair. I, I see that. Uh. Yeah, man, 10 out of 10, I, I just, um, I, I can't fault it. And that's also one of the reasons. If I cannot find a fault in a film, it kind of deserves a 10 out of 10. Yeah, that's fair. Mm. Okay, cool. that's it. Knives out. There you go. 10 out of 10, 8.5 out of 10. We kind of have to meet somewhere in between so we can give our rating, like when I post oh, yeah, What are you going to do? You're going to give it 9.8? 9. <laughs> 9. I feel like. <laughs> 9.99. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like supervised. No, nah, no, nah, I think I'd give it a nine. Like after after this, I'll give it a nine out of ten for sure. Alright. I'd be comfortable with that. Like if I was insane. if I was totally like against your uh your rating, I would be like, nah, whatever, I'm just gonna give it a ten. <laughs> you can. Tell you what, it is it is your podcast. <laughs> nah, nah. I'm 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 fair with that. I'm totally, totally okay with that. Um so before we wrap it up, we should mention that the sequel to this. It's coming out on the 23rd, and we should totally review and recap together. You can, Yeah,
1: I can watch this. I mean, like, again, I'm going to be scared, I feel like, but I can watch it. I've seen a a trailer for the new one. I actually cared enough to go watch the trailer, which is, you know, that's very rare for me.
0: Right. So did it look kind of promising
1: to you, the trailer? Yeah, I mean, like, it was, yeah, it's the same kind of thing. Mm, Same kind of thing. I I enjoyed that. Yeah, yeah. It's like a tech billionaire. Some scary stuff happens, Mm -hmm. and then... Yep. Completely different cast. The only person that's back is Daniel Craig as a detective. I think I know now that, like, these films are feel-good films, Mm -hmm. and so I'm going to have to just sort of sit there and accept that. Yep. And I hope, I hope he doesn't, like, like, Rian Johnson doesn't screw me over on this one, (laughs) because if the next film is, like, this friggin', you know, uh, just this terrible, um, self loathing type of film where like you know terrible things happen and you're just meant to accept it, and that's how life is, then <laughs> I'm going
0: in there with the, the wrong energy, <laughs> yeah, uh, you now have a new set of expectations, I suppose, and you know yeah, what yeah, yeah, Ryan Johnson's gonna be listening to this, so don't worry he's um he's gonna be all well, he's already made, made the film, so it doesn't yeah, he made the film, I feel like. Okay, we're waiting for the director's cut. <laughs> Sorry, but to to give you a little bit of um excitement and a little bit of reprieve, I suppose, is that everyone's saying that it is rare. Like people start off the consensus with this consensus with uh, Glass Onion. They're saying that it is rare to come across a sequel that does better than your first film, as much as your first film was successful. And they can, Oof. and they said, without any hesitation, we are so proud to say that Glass Onion is a better film. The Knives Out. And 10%. this is coming from people that really love Knives Out. These are the people that coming from like that hmm. 98% or 97%, whatever you gave it on yeah. the critic score. These are all the same people. And they're saying that the sequel is a roaring upgrade to Knives Out. So, is, I am excited. so dude, like when I heard that, I was like, wow, really? Knives Out was like pretty, pretty amazing. Like close to being a perfect film to me. And so for Glass Onion to do better, that just, that just, that really excites me.
1: So what would you say is like the the film where the sequel was better than the prequel,
0: the most? Ah, uh, The Dark Knight? The most of it. The Dark Knight. Oh, really? Mm. Batman Begins is a very uh, outstanding film. I think it's actually one of the best directed films. Probably, I'd probably say it's in the top 20 films of best directed films. Mm. Uh, that's Batman Begins, but then when he came out with The Dark Knight, I would say, actually say that Dark Knight is in the sort of Rushmore of greatest films ever made. Damn, like top four. Yeah. Yep. Up there with the Equalizer, huh? <laughs> <laughs> right below Equalizer, there you go. Uh, I was going to say Terminator. Right, yeah, Terminator yeah. 2, you mean? Two, like yeah.
1: significant, because one is just like one an is, action yeah. romp, right? Yeah it's fine it's kind whereas of he, okay but that was like the, the height of
0: ridley was it really scott or tony scott i think it was tony scott that did the first terminator well that's the key thing right i think the differential
1: was the question so mm-hmm. batman begins is actually a very good film dark knight is like a brilliant film yep. terminator is like okay whereas terminator 2 fantastic yep. yep. differential might be higher yeah exactly
0: yeah um, but, cool. but cool yeah pretty excited for that um let's wrap this up
1: all right
0: right good to see you man thank you for coming back
1: ah thanks man thanks for having me having fun as
0: always the fans love love it when you're here dude
1: today i feel like they shouldn't you're all (laughs) wrong if you think that
0: that's his thing he likes to just like do reverse psychology on you no what no no i hate myself all right everybody uh catch the show notes or i should say the social media handles in the show notes um of this episode uh you can find how to follow us on social media all on those notes uh feel free to hit the notification button so then you know when the next one drops and um we will see you guys again not see you guys again but maybe we will uh talk to you guys again in the near future uh see you guys later see you tony oh see ya bye